Well, I want to, uh, my, one of my jobs here today is to kick off a brand new series. Uh, we're going to be uh, teaching through this in the next six weeks. I get to, I get to teach for six weeks. That's, I'm really excited about that through the Hearing God series. But before I teach, I want to draw your attention to something that's in your bulletin. So if you grab your bulletin, you'll find in there um, a little insert. It's a two-page insert. And uh, just tell you a little bit about how we hope to grow through this next six weeks. So there's three parts to our strategy for growth. And you might adopt one of them, two of them, or all three of them. But let me just point what they are out. So uh, if you open your little insert there for this week, you'll see in-service notes. Well, the first way to grow in this next six weeks is to come to church for six weeks and take in the teaching that we're going to uh, be providing through this whole series of Hearing God. Um, I'm going to do an exercise with, uh, my plan is to do an exercise with you every single week. So I'll, I'll finish teaching today and, and each week, and then to do a quick exercise in hearing God. And uh, it's sort of, we're taking some intentional baby steps throughout six weeks uh, so that we can come to be more familiar with the voice of God in our lives and more attentive to God's leadership in our lives. I think that's the big hope of this series, is that uh, as we engage with God's word and are are attentive to his promptings in our lives, that his leadership is magnified in our lives and that we're more responsive to him. We're more responsive to his leadership in our lives. Um, the second part is if you come and you, you're catching all the teaching, whether you're here or whether you catch it on podcast, the second part is to do, to read the Bible, to read the Bible. And if you look on the back of your, your, um, your little thing there, you'll see these sort of five little boxes there. And we're just encouraging people to read through the book of John and uh, the first 30 chapters of the book of Psalms through the next six weeks. So if you really just read five times a week, if you did Monday to Friday, you would get that done. So first day tomorrow, if you read John 1 and Psalm 1, then you'd do exactly what we're hoping to do together. And we're just really believe this is a really big part of the growth that we're uh, aiming towards is to be engaged with the word of God. So John and, and the book of Psalms. And then the last part is, let's say you've, you've taken in the sermons, you're reading the Bible, and then the last part is to um, engage with other people in discussion around what's, what you're learning and what God's showing you through his word and also through your times of listening prayer. And so you can do that in one of two ways. Some of you are already in life groups. If you're already in a life group, well, then you're probably going to have that just naturally built in. Life groups have got, uh, have got some curriculum that is following along mostly with the book of John. And so that's something you can, you can, if you're in a life group, you've already got sort of an outlet to talk about, man, this is what I learned when I was reading it. This is what I saw in Psalms or John or, or, or what I think of what I heard in the sermon on Sunday. But here's the other bonus one. So if you're not in a life group, or maybe some life groups might want to try this out, Tuesday nights we're offering uh, the Hearing God Seminar, which is sort of the matching practicum to go with what we're doing on the teaching on Sunday morning. So I'm going to teach some stuff on Sunday morning, but then on Tuesday night, our prayer pastor, Laura Blackman, is going to provide, a, a in the prayer room, is going to provide a setting where you can actually practice what you've heard preached. Practice what you preach. I've heard that somewhere. Yeah, so that's, that's sort of how it's going to go. So, so I, there's three parts to it. You're either going to, so you could do all three parts. You could come to church, take in the teaching. You could read Psalms and John throughout the week. And then you could go to a life group or you could go Tuesday nights to the Hearing God Practicum where you get practical exercises in, uh, in practicing listening prayer and, and growing in that way. So that's the plan, okay? That's the plan. Uh, and hopefully, uh, again, Jesus' leadership in our lives will be magnified and will grow as we intentionally uh, follow that plan uh, towards allowing his, yeah, we want his leadership to grow in our lives. All right, now to the teaching. Well, first, I guess I should just say, say welcome to Hearing God, session one. And the question I want to begin with is, does God still speak today? Lots of Christians believe that he doesn't. That he used to speak, 
but he doesn't speak now in our day and age. And my hope is that you will learn and experience in days to come that he does still speak and that his children still hear his voice and respond in obedience today. Now, let me just say a little bit about these kind of messages. Hillcrest is a great church, a really great church. One of the things that makes Hillcrest a great church is the diversity of our backgrounds. We come together, even especially on a communion Sunday, this is so true. We come together from so many different backgrounds. You know, if I was to just take a survey, and I'm not going to do that this morning, but if I just took a survey of how many different church backgrounds that you each come from, it would be uh, like a mosaic right across the landscape. You know, some of you were Baptists and Alliance and, and Pentecostal and, and Methodist and, and United and, and, and Anglican and Catholic and Lutheran. And, uh, you know, I could just go on and on. Everything I could, po- Salvation Army, everything I could possibly mention, I bet we've got someone from that different church background. Some, and many of you, this is your first church. You, weren't, you, you don't have a previous church background, but Hillcrest is your first church. I hope we're doing good, by the way. I hope we're, your, your first impression of churches is good because I hope we're doing good. But that diversity is actually wonderful. It's actually wonderful. It's an incredible strength. It's actually a picture of what's happening across Canada. There's sort of a melting pot of most people actually don't go to churches based on the fact of the label anymore. Most people go because... They come to a church and they feel at home there. They, they sense a sense of God's presence there. They, they, they like that it's got biblical teaching. Um, maybe they like the children's programs, the youth programs. There's lots of things that draw people to a church. But I love the diversity of our, our different faith backgrounds. But it presents a challenge. And that is that when you come to areas in the Bible that you're to teach on, Sometimes people already are really well informed in one sort of strain of thought or another. And lots of things in the Bible are not very controversial. Like you can look at them and say, man, 90%, 99% of Christians all agree about this. Right? There's really very little debate. But there are some things where there is a debate. And actually what I'm going to talk about this morning, there is some debate. I almost talked about this in the spring because in the spring we went through the book of 1 Corinthians. If you were here with us then, you remember that. We went all the way through 1 Corinthians and we got up to Easter and then I, we taught pretty much every chapter except chapter 14. Except chapter 14. And I wanted to do chapter 14, but then I thought, you know what? I'm going to take a little bit more time to think about how I'm going to approach this because it's one of those ones that's a little bit controversial. And I want to make sure that I've thought through a little bit my approach uh, to something. Because you never want something that creates division in the, tr- in the church. You want to find a way so that it can create unity in the church. And so that's why that teaching got pushed forward uh, to now. So let's talk about, uh, we're talking about does God still speak today? How is that controversial? Well, there's two sort of camps, two main camps. One camp says, no, the, the, the way that God spoke to people in the Bible sort of ended with the Bible. It ended once the Bible, the you know, very last chapters were done. Once the apostles all passed away, that doesn't continue. And there, there's a theological name for that position. It's called cessationism. And then the other position would be, uh, well, I'll give you the name, continuationism. <laughs> it's even harder to say. And it basically is that though God speaking to people continued past the ending of, you know, the accounts in the Bible. So those are, the, those are the two positions. And I'll tell you who I am right away. I'm a continuationist. I believe God does still speak today. So now you can uh, either love me because I think the same way as you or be really wary because what is he going to say next? So I wondered about this. I thought, oh, I know that we've come from so many different backgrounds. We listen to so many different, you know, Bible teachers online or, or on the radio or whatever, that you're going to have these two camps, which are, are pretty big camps, uh, represented in our church. So I, I, I scratched my head over it, and this is the thing that really, I came to a point of great encouragement in my heart about this, because I thought, oh man, I don't want to offend a whole bunch of people, but I still want to preach what I believe is actually true, and then this revelation hit me, and it really encouraged me. You can disagree on this point for bad reasons. But I think most people disagree on this point for good reasons. Okay, let me give you some bad reasons. 
if you said, God doesn't speak today because that's messy. I don't want God to speak today. I want it to be uh, sort of cleaned up. I sort of want it. Can I get God in a box a little bit on this one? That'd be a bad reason to be a cessationist and to say God doesn't speak today. On the other side, there'd be a really a poor reason to say that God continues to speak to people today would be the fact that, oh, man, I can get a hotline to heaven and God is just going to download stuff to me. I don't need to read the Bible. Awesome. Sign me up. That would be a really poor reason to be a continuationist. But you know what? I believe most Christians who hold strongly to one camp or the other actually hold strongly to the very same value. And that is that they hold the word of God in high regard. They really respect the word of God. They say, you know what? I recognize that Jesus is the Lord of my life. He is the leader of my life and he has the right to command my obedience. And I recognize that his word spells out the, the details of that obedience. And so the principles of Scripture and the teachings of Scripture and the commands of Scripture are so important to me, and that's why I'm a cessationist, or that's why I'm a continuationist. So here's the thing that really encouraged me. And I've seen this in a lot of things that are controversial in the Bible. That when people really care deeply about one side or the other, it's because they really view the authority of Jesus and his word on a high level. And that is something you can unite around. So even if you say, I'm on this side, but I really love the Bible and I really just appreciate it and, and I want to get it right from the Bible. And I'm on this side. I disagree with you, but I also love the Bible and I appreciate the I, I just appreciate the authority that it has in my life and who Jesus is and all that stuff. You are just so close together you can just play ping pong. In fact, I find myself more and more in partnership with people I disagree with. Because the thing I disagree with them on is not as essential to the thing I agree with them on. So, today if you're sitting here and you're saying, man, I sure wish my pastor was a cessationist and he's not, be thrilled that I think the highest of you. I think that the reason you disagree with me, I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt. I hope you give me the same. The reason you may disagree with me on this one is because you agree with me that the Bible really matters and that the authority of Scripture is really, really important. Okay? Okay? So I'll hold you in high regard, even if you write me an email and say, I totally disagree with everything you say on Sunday. I'm going to hold you in high regard because I'm going to believe that the reason you disagree with me is because you really agree with me. <laughs> All right, let's go. Now I can teach. So scripture and the spirit are an amazing tag team. They really are. Scripture and the Spirit of God, the Holy, the Bible and the Holy Spirit, they're an amazing tag team. And I'm going to tell you a few things. I'll just say a few things about the Scripture and the Spirit. First, you, first one is you can't fully understand the Scripture without the help of the Holy Spirit. You can't understand the Scriptures fully without the help of the Holy Spirit. And there's lots of examples of this in the Scriptures, right? Um, John 14, 26 says, but the advocate... The Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have said to you. Here's a, this is one of the neat relationships between the Bible and the Holy Spirit, is that you read the Bible, or you hear the teachings of Jesus, or, or, or you're exposed to those things, and then the Holy Spirit has this role of reminding you of those things. And now, maybe you've experienced this practically in your life. You've read in the Bible, certain things, and then later on you're like looking for direction in life or trying to figure something out. You've got sort of a puzzle of what should I do? And suddenly scripture comes back to your mind. That's actually the Holy Spirit at work in your life. Like, whoa, suddenly a scripture came to mind. And it's because I read it. But it's because the Holy Spirit brought it back in that moment. Isn't that great? The, the word of God and the Holy Spirit working together. Then uh, Luke 10 and verse 21, it says, At that time, 
Jesus, full of joy through the Holy Spirit, said, I praise you, Father, the Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. Now, here's a really crazy dynamic. God reveals and conceals things at the same time. When Jesus was teaching and he would teach a, a parable or a story and there would be crowds of people who listen to it, people would say, I don't get it. I don't get what he means. I don't get what he's saying. I don't get what the, the, the implications are. I don't get what the application is. I, I just don't get it. And Jesus would say, well, you know what? These things are revealed. He, he would explain them to his disciples and they would he'd say, these things are revealed often to the simple, often to children. It's surprising that the wise and the learned don't get it. And actually, we see this happening uh, in different places in the Bible. Let me read you another uh, passage that sort of dovetails into this. Luke uh, 8.10 says, He said, The knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of God have been given to you, but to others I speak in parables. Why? So that though seeing, they may not see, and though hearing, they may not understand. And Jesus is saying the secrets of the kingdom of God are hidden. They're hidden from the wise and learned. But the key to unlock those secrets, for those things to not be hidden, for you to suddenly see them or for you to suddenly hear them or to understand them is actually the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. The Christmas story is a sort of a crazy example, but but it was just Christmas, so I've been thinking about it. You've got Everybody who shows up at the manger heard from God in some way to get there. I mean, even Mary, who, you know, pretty much couldn't miss the, you know, the birth of Jesus because she's the mom, right? She had an angel show up. Joseph, an angel spoke to him. The shepherds, angels spoke to them. The wise men or the magi, they had a star that led them. It's like all this supernatural stuff to get them to the manger. You know who didn't make it? You know who didn't make it? The Bible scholars of the day didn't make it. That is so surprising. You know how the, the story is? The Magi, they go to Jerusalem, and they say, we're following the star, and they're meeting with Herod. And so Herod calls the Bible scholars of the day forward to tell them, it's Bethlehem where the king will appear, where the Messiah will come to. They're like, whoa, thank you very much. We're going to keep following this star, and we're going to go to Bethlehem now. That's really great. Awesome. Now, if you were one of those Bible scholars in that meeting with King Herod and with these people who are following a star to meet the king, wouldn't you be like, what? The star's here? Well, I've been studying this all my life. This is exciting. Let me get my coat on, and I'll grab a present. What do you guys got? Gold, frankincense, myrrh? Oh, yeah, I'll get Lego. You know, you just, like, wouldn't you just want to be a part of it? That's what amazed me when I read the story again. They didn't make it to the manger. They'd studied the Bible all their life, and they were even helping the Magi get to the manger, but they never went themselves. Can you imagine that someone could study the Bible their whole life, and because they aren't in a right alignment with God, because the Holy Spirit isn't active in their lives like it should be, that they actually totally miss the point of the whole thing? Jesus ran into this. Jesus ran into this. He said to the Pharisees, they were the, they were the Bible scholars of the day, he said, you study the scriptures. This is uh, John 5, 39. You study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me. Yet you refuse to come to me to have life. The Pharisees were interacting with the Messiah. This is even worse than the Bible scholars from Jerusalem. The Pharisees are nose to nose with the Son of God, with with the Messiah, with the Savior of the world, soon to be. And they'd study the scriptures all about him, and yet there's a disconnect there. And Jesus is pointing it out to them. He said, you've studied the Bible, but... You need the Holy Spirit. You need the work of God to really understand the Bible. Now, I've shared this story before in our church, but one of the most 
stunning illustrations that I ever knew of personally. Just a personal example of this was a pastor I met years ago. He was in the early 90s, and I was traveling out uh, with a Bible college team to, I think it was Hardesty, Alberta, a very small Alberta town. Anyone know? Everyone ever been there? Yeah, a few people. Okay, small town. At that time, in the early 90s, he was pastoring the biggest church in town. I think he'd grown up in Ontario. He'd gone to university to get, you know, the right degrees you needed to get in order to be a pastor in that denomination. And now he was in Alberta in this small town, but he was in the biggest church. And so he was the guy who opened the scriptures the most to teach the people in that town. More people heard him teach the scriptures in that town than any other person. One night, he's watching Billy Graham on TV. And as he's watching it, Billy Graham is talking out of John chapter 3, which you'll read on Wednesday. And he says, you must be born again. Jesus said this. And he's talking about being made new, being made a new person in God. And, and this pastor is listening to this, and it just dawns on him. I have never had this. This has never been true about me. When he, Billy Graham is talking about being born again and Jesus talked about being that is not something I have experienced. So he gets down on his knees in front of the TV and he prays. And he says, God, I should give you my life. Anyhow, next week, goes back to stand in the big church in the small town and gets up to read the scripture and everything is different. The words are jumping off the page to him. There's understanding he didn't have before. Now, this guy has studied the scriptures. He's studied them for years. He's preached them for years, but the game has changed because now the Holy Spirit is illuminating, is shedding light on the scripture, and he said it was totally different. It was totally different. Reading the scriptures with the help of the Holy Spirit versus reading the scriptures on my own. It was a completely new experience. So the scriptures and the spirit, they're an amazing tag team. They should never be separated. And you can't fully understand the scriptures without the Holy Spirit. Even Jesus' disciples needed God to help them understand the scriptures. Uh, This is Jesus in Luke chapter 24. He said to them, this is what I told you while I was with you. Everything must be fulfilled that was written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. And then this next line. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. So that's the first thing. You can't fully understand the scriptures without the Holy Spirit. But here's another one. It's another one I think is pretty interesting. Scripture teaches that there is revelation that the Spirit gives that's besides the Bible. Now this, if you're a true cessationist, you almost don't like to hear me read that. But I'm just saying it again, and then let me explain as best I can and also give lots of caveats so it sounds better. Scripture teaches that there is revelation that the Spirit gives that is beside the Bible. Now, let me be clear. We're not still writing the Bible. The Bible's written. It's done. It's finished. There isn't books yet to be added. The canon of Scripture is closed. So we're not, when, when you say, well, well, God, there's revelation yet that the spirits give? Well, well, that should be in the Bible. No, it's not the same. It's not on the same level to the Bible. It's not an addition to the Bible. We're not still writing parts of the Bible. The Bible is complete and the canon is closed. It's different. It's different. I want to say that because sometimes that gets to be a hang-up. One of the ways that it's different is because it comes through fallible people. You talk about uh, God speaking to someone today. Uh, that comes through fallible people. We would never, if, if you came to me and say, Steve, God told me this. I would not put that on the same level as what I read in the Bible. Do you know Why? Well, I mean, there's lots of reasons, but I'll give you one really good reason. It's because you could totally be making this stuff up. It would be a great temptation to do that. If you can always put God's stamp on everything you think, boy, who can argue with that? So 
when somebody says, man, I, I had an impression or, or a prompting from God, I think, or I think it's God, uh, we test that, you know, as the Bible teaches. We test that. We say, well, okay, let's, let's test that. Let's see if that's true. And how do, what's the first way we test it? We test it by looking to the scriptures. Does it line up with scripture? If it doesn't, it's not from God. So if I tell you, man, I, now this is not a true example. This is just a theoretical example, okay, just because my wife's not here and it'll sound bad. If I said, man, I, I met a new girl and I think I want to be with her instead of my wife and God told me I should do that. If you're my friend who's a believer in Christ, you should tell me, Steve, God did not tell you that. You don't have to quibble about that. You can't go, well, maybe God did tell him that. No, you can tell me absolutely, 100% in my face with all the confidence in the world, God did not tell you that. Why? Because it disagrees with what the scriptures say about how you should live your life and, and, and faithfulness in marriage and all sorts of things. You could trot out a whole plethora of verses on adultery. So you don't have to quibble. You don't have to wonder. So if people, so, so I just want to say that there is revelation that the Spirit gives that's besides the Bible, but it's subject to the Bible. The Bible actually becomes a filter for us. That's why the way we're doing these next two, six weeks are actually sort of strategic. If you say, man, if I could hear from God, I wouldn't need the Bible. We want to just stop that right now and say, no, you absolutely need the Bible to hear from God. In fact, the Bible helps you discern if something that you've heard or discerned or that you've, an impression that you've got is from God. It helps you in that process. If it contradicts the word of God, it's not from God. It's not from God. So that's really important. The Bible acts as a filter. So I believe that God still speaks today, but that, those words that we receive always have to be consistent with the word of God and submitted to its authority. And scripture is, and that's again where scripture and, and the spirit work together. Scripture helps us to discern if something is from the, potentially from the Holy Spirit or not. So the scripture teaches that there is that revelation from God, but the Bible acts as a filter. Now I want to look at just a few verses that often come up in the debate uh, about whether God still speaks today. And this is actually found in 1 Corinthians 13. So 1 Corinthians 14 is where most of the teaching is about uh, prophecy, tongues, things like that. But 1 Corinthians 13 is often used by people to say that actually those things aren't for today. So let's just look at some of the verses that are often used. 1 Corinthians 13, 8 to 10 says, Love never fails, but where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. Okay, so prophecy, tongues, knowledge, it's basically saying they're going to cease, be stilled, and pass away. So it does sound actually pretty persuasive that maybe these things are done. But the real tricky part is to figure out when, when. It says when completeness comes in this, in the, in the NIV that I'm reading. When completeness comes, when what is in part disappears. And what is that? What is that completeness? So some people would argue, well, that's the completing of the Bible. Once we have the complete Bible, we don't actually need uh, God to speak to people uh, in, in uh, supernatural ways beyond the Bible. We just really need to read the Bible and that's good enough. But if you go into 1 Corinthians 13 and 12, you get a little bit more of a hint of when that when really is. It says, for now we only see a reflection in a mirror, but then we shall see face to face. When will we see face to face? When will our, our seeing of God be face to face? Well, I think most people would say, well, that's actually when Jesus comes again. That's the second coming. And then it goes on to say, now I know in part, then I should know fully, even as I am fully known. So 
that's, here's a bit of the rub where, where, the, where the argument comes in. People say, well, these things are going to cease. These things are going to cease. And I agree, they are going to cease. But I believe they're going to cease when Jesus comes. Because we won't need them at all anymore because then we'll see face to face. Then we'll be with him. We won't need, uh, we'll, if you want direction, then you can say, hey, Jesus. That's a little impertinent to say it that way. But he'll be, we'll be in his presence We'll be with him. We'll be face to face. So I, I want to say two things. I believe that Bible principles are absolutely essential and, by, and spirit promptings are also essential. So let me just unpack those a little bit. Principles, why are principles essential? First, principles simplify your life. If you... Principles are like policies. Do you have work policies at your workplace where it's like every time this happens, do these steps? You know what I mean? That's, so you never do anything different than that. You always do that. Actually, that's really helpful. It means you never have to ever make that decision more than once. You write a policy, the decision is always made. That's the same with biblical principles. You realize, oh, this is what God requires? I'm just going to make that principle a policy in my life, and I'm always going to do that. Right? So if I read that God requires of the Christian to always forgive people, which he does actually require that, then I can just choose that. That's the policy for the rest of my life. Actually, that, I hold that as a policy for the rest of my life, that I will always forgive people. That will always be a struggle, I know, because I can get angry with people and upset. But that is always the, the right thing to do. I'm, I see it clearly in Scripture that it's required of me as his follower. And so that is a principle. I just ad- adopted for my life as a follower of the one who requires that. I just adopt that. That's a follower. I'm going to do that. So principles simplify your life. I never have to go, am I going to forgive this guy? The decision's already made. It's just how long it'll take me to forgive that guy. So I don't quibble over it each time. I already know what the decision is. It's just following through on the decision. I have a similar one in my life. Um, I look at the do not get drunk on wine, and I just adopted it for my life as a policy. I have no intentions to ever get drunk or high or wasted or stoned or any other adjective you could use to describe that. I have no intentions to do that in my entire life. I'm going to seek other adventures, but chemical dependency is not one I'm planning to utilize, right? Now, that decision's made for me. In every social context I go into, that decision's already made. I'm like, no, I'm not going to get drunk. I'm not going to get high. I'm not going to get... I already made that decision, right? Why? Because I think it lines up with what uh, is taught in the New Testament, what, what I find in the Bible. So I just follow that through. It simplifies your life. It really does simplify your life. You only have to make that decision once, and you always know whenever you hit that scenario, I've already made this decision. Life is simpler. There's so many different things that could fall under this thing. So principles of the Bible are so incredible that they actually simplify your life. If you're, if you're just always at, well, I'll, when I get to a scenario, I'll just see what ethics seem good in that scenario. You know what? You can predetermine so many things of your life and make your life simpler. So I just point that out. That's just really helpful. Biblical principles are really practical because they simplify your life. But the other thing about biblical principles, they're entirely reliable. They're entirely reliable. You know, the author of the Bible is the Holy Spirit. I guess that's why he makes the best interpreter of the Bible, right? Because he wrote it. The Holy Spirit is the author of the Bible. Of course, men wrote, but they were under the influence of the Holy Spirit to write what they wrote. And so when you say, well, I've heard a word from God, and maybe you have and maybe you haven't, it's in this category. But when you say, I've read this in the word of God and I've come to understand it, well, that's in a totally different category. It's entirely reliable. It's entirely reliable. It's true. You can stake your life on it. So principles from Scripture are absolutely essential. They're wonderful. And principles from Scripture speak to more areas than you realize, more areas than I realize. I had an example of this two nights ago. Our family was in a, with another family. Me and the dad were in the kitchen. We're talking about how we're raising our kids. And I remember I sort of was sort of just talking. And I said, you know, I don't know if it's like this or like this. 
you know, should you do this with your kids or should you do this with your kids? And I was just sort of bringing up one topic, and I just said, I don't really know, you know? Like, how do people know this, you know? The dad I'm with, he said, actually, I just read in Proverbs the other day, and then he quoted one of the Proverbs to me, and it directly addressed what I was just sort of meandering about. I'm sort of sitting on the fence. I don't know what you're supposed to do. Are you supposed to do this or this? And he says, there's a proverb about that. Quote it to me, and I was like, oh, it's clearly this. Wow. The Bible teaches, uh, talks about that too? That is so incredible. So that's why before you try to hear the voice of God, before you say, I'm going to do listening prayer or anything like that, read the scripture. Read the scripture. I mean, give the Holy Spirit all sorts of good fuel to bring back to your remembrance. So when he, now I, this is a verse I have read before. I've read the whole Bible. So I had read that verse before, but it didn't come back in that moment. But the Holy Spirit brought it back to his remembrance in the moment, and he shared it with me, and we both got the benefit. We're like, oh, what should I do? This is what the Holy Spirit's answer is. Do this. It was amazing. I was so like, this Bible covers so much of your life. Now here's the flip side of that. The Bible speaks to way more than you realize. But principles by themselves do not always make every decision clear. Okay, I'm going to flip to the other side here. And this is why spirit promptings are also very important. Are also very important. Uh, read it, read, let me read you a scenario. Acts chapter 13, 1 and 2. Now in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, Lucius, Menaean, and Saul, five of them. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. Now, the Holy Spirit told them it was Barnabas and Saul, not the other three guys. It was Barnabas and Saul that were going to be set apart for the work that he had for them, which was to go out as missionaries into the Gentile world. You say, well, couldn't they have got that from just biblical principles? I actually don't think they could have. I mean, they could have made a decision on their own and said, hey, uh, you know, Simeon, Menaean, you two go. But I actually think it was important that it was Barnabas and Saul. And you couldn't, I don't think you could have gone through the, all of the Bible, the Old Testament and the New Testament, and come up with which guys have to go. How would you have come up with that decision? By just biblical principles. You could have made the decision, but would you? But God himself decided that this needed speaking to. That who goes was actually important, and it really needed to be Barnabas and Saul. There's so many different examples in the Bible where there's, there's moments where it's like, well, you could, you could clearly make most of the decisions in your life based on biblical principles, but there are some decisions that you make where you say, I need... I need more than just the commands of Scripture and the teachings of Scripture. I need actually direction in the moment. Uh, one of the other ones I, that really stands out to me is the story of Paul after he's heading out with Barnabas and Saul. So they've gone, right? They go out. They end up right on the border of Asia and Europe. And they make a decision. We're going to Asia. Bithynia to be specific. So we're going to go to Bithynia. And he, it's written, it says, we tried to go to Bithynia, but the Spirit wouldn't let us. We tried to go to Bithynia. We're like, where should we take this gospel into the world? Well, let's pick Asia. Well, that would be a different story, wouldn't it? And so they're like, let's go to Asia. And the Holy Spirit stopped them cold. And... After that, Paul has a dream, and in the dream, a man from Macedonia, which is Europe, appears. Come and help us. And after that dream, they switch, and they go to Europe. I had two guys come up to me after we did our last set free retreat. Two leaders. One guy's a pastor of a church, and the other guy was a leader at a Bible college. They said, this set-free retreat was awesome. Would you ever, like, 
take your team and take this to another context. Would you come to my church, the one guy said. Later on, this other guy said, would you come to our Bible college and do this with our students? I was like, well, we'd be open to it. What if they both phone me back and they say, we both got you, bo- we got you booked in for the long weekend in May. Well, I'd say, well, I can't go to two places at once in May. I, I can only go to one or the other. So what would I do? Look through all the biblical principles I know? Or would I say, Lord, can you help me decide? Should I be going to the Bible college? Should I be going to the church? Or should I stay home in Moose Jaw? Spirit promptings actually are important for guidance. Now, so many times we want to take a shortcut and we say, well, I just, well, I just only want to be guided by spirit promptings. And that is disregarding the, the, the amazing revelation that God has given us in the word. So we need to start with the word. We need to be anchored in the word. But spirit promptings have a, a role to play in making decisions that shouldn't be disregarded by the church. And some people, I'm looking for a clock. Anyone got one? Another 12. We'll finish it up real quick then. We'll squit, we'll, we'll, get, we'll save that one for next week. You'll never know what I was going to say. Until next week. Can I show that video? I want to show an interesting video, video for you here. Many times uh, you all hear me quote Charles Spurgeon. Charles Spurgeon, probably one of the greatest preachers in the history of the Christian church, born in 1834, died in 1892, pastored the Metropolitan Tabernacle in London. Spurgeon was not known to be a man who believed in the gifts of the Spirit. And yet, in his autobiography, he tells of one particular incident in which in the middle of his sermon, he just stopped And he pointed at a man in the auditorium. And by the way, there were several thousand present at the Metropolitan Tabernacle. Never seen the man before. And accused him of keeping his shop open last Sunday, which in those days you didn't do, and taking an unjust profit from a sale that he had made. The man later described the event to a friend in these words. Mr. Spurgeon looked at me as if he knew me, and in his sermon he pointed to me and told the congregation that I was a shoemaker and that I had kept my shop open on Sundays, and I did. I should not have minded that, but he also said that I took nine pence the Sunday before and that there was four pence profit out of it. I did take nine pence that day, and four pence was the profit. But how he should know that, I could not tell. And then it struck me that it was God who had spoken to my soul through him. So I shut up my shop the next Sunday. At first, I was afraid to go hear him preach again, lest he should tell the people more about me. But afterwards, I went, and the Lord met with me, and he saved my soul. There's a word of knowledge for an unbeliever who just happened to be in a service that Sunday. Spurgeon then adds this comment. In his autobiography, he said, I could tell as many as a dozen similar cases in which I pointed at somebody in the hall without having the slightest knowledge of the person or any idea what I said was right, except that I believed I was moved by the Holy Spirit to say it. Then he goes on to describe how he can actually watch people elbowing each other in the auditorium when he says something that pierces their heart and discloses their sin And he reports that they would leave the building saying to one another, that guy just told me the things that we were talking about before we came in the building. One of my favorite examples, Spurgeon tells of another time when he broke off right in the middle of his sermon and pointed at a young man and said, young man, those gloves that you are wearing are not your own. You stole them. That's pretty bold. After the service, the young man came up to him and handed him the gloves and says, please, sir, don't tell my mom. It would break her heart if she found out her son was a thief. I'll never do it again. Word of knowledge, word of wisdom, revelatory gifts designed sometimes to expose sin, but also to encourage and to console and to strengthen and to build your faith up. Oh, all right. You know, this, throughout the next few weeks, I'm going to tell you a lot of stories. Okay, there's going to be a lot of stories. Today was a little bit less, but a lot of stories. But some of the stories you hear about people hearing from God are big and dramatic. I think these are big and dramatic. By the way, Charles Spurgeon, 
was a cessationist. The whole life, his whole life, he never changed. He did not believe that, that the words from God were for today. Except for he sort of operated in them a little bit. But anyhow, it's a little bit fun to sort of think about his, his life and his, his reality. But he was really like, you know, it's about the word of God. That was Charles Spurgeon. And I think people love him because he was so faithful to the word of God. And he would say, don't be driven by your impressions. Live your life by the principles of the word of God. Yet, at the same time, there seemed to be these extraordinary moments where God would give him an impression and he would share it with people. But here's the thing. Sometimes we get really excited or really scared because we think it's always going to be big and and showy and sort of Charles Spurgeon-ish, like, you, you stole those gloves. The reality is with hearing God is actually it's most likely going to be simple Promptings, And I want to tell you one story from my life that I think is more the usual of what people experience when they say they actually heard from God. So one of my youth group girls, this is when I lived in uh, a different town up north here. My youth group girls had gone on a missions trip. Now she was in like first or second year of Bible college and she'd gone on a missions trip to Africa and she'd come back. And uh, so I, I, met, I met with her and that was I was just newly married. Marnie and I were, were just... Uh, newlyweds, and I was the youth pastor, and that's our details. And she came back, and she said, I said, how did it go in Africa? How was your missions trip? And we were so excited for her to go. Like, we just we were pumped. And she said, um, well, you know, it was different than I thought. That Once I got there, the, all the things we'd planned to do were sort of thrown out the window, and we had to adjust to brand new stuff. And I said, well, welcome to the world of missions trips. That's pretty much what happens every missions trip. And I said, but, but, you know, wow, you know, you had an adventure, you know, and, and, you know, I'm smiling, she's smiling. We're just, you know, having a good time telling the story. And then she said, the other really important difference was it's a French speaking country. And because I was the only one who grew up in French immersion, I had to translate for the whole team. I said, whoa, you were really important to your team. You really played a significant role. Your whole team would have needed you to translate for everything. And she goes, yeah, yeah. So we're smiling, we're laughing, we're having a great conversation. And then, oh, I got to go, she says, and so she heads out. And uh, I am sitting in the office, Marnie and I are together, and I turn back to my computer, and I have this thought. Not an audible voice, just a thought. And the thought is, pray for her. And it seemed like an urgency, like, pray for her, like, this is really important. And I thought, well, we just had the most delightful little conversation here about her mission strip. Pray for her. So I turned towards Marnie, and I said, I feel like we're supposed to pray for her. She had already left the building. She was gone to the parking lot to drive away. I said, I feel like we're supposed to pray for her. And she said, yeah, me too. Now, I've never asked Marnie whether she got a word like I did. Maybe it was just me with a word from God and her with women's intuition. I'm not sure. But... uh, That's a joke. Um, You don't have to laugh. You don't have to laugh. This is a great series for men. We can become, we can catch up to women by hearing from God. Anyhow, so I said, I I said, well, let's go. And so we ran out of the church doors. We thought we probably won't be able to catch her. She's probably driven away. We ran into the parking lot and her car was still there. She'd been in it for a little bit now, but she hadn't driven away. And so we got closer and closer. And as we looked into the car, we saw huge tears just pouring down her face. And she had that, like, you know, the ugly cry, you know, your face is all distorted because there's so much agony. And we're like, oh. So we came in and said, what's going on? And she had began to tell us what Africa was really like. And she was a very shy, um, sort of withdrawn girl. And she was happy to be part of a team, but she didn't want to stick out. But she had to stick out every single day because she was the only person who knew the language. So from morning to night, she had to translate for her whole team. And when the schedule got totally changed on her, that was another thing she was not good with. And that was hard. But now she couldn't have prepare for anything. Her teammates would say, oh, we're doing something different. Let's go quickly prepare for it. She never had any time because she had to translate for every single interaction. And so she came into every day unprepared, totally exhausted, and emotionally drained for a month. She was traumatized by her mission strip. Absolutely traumatized. But when she came back to see me, she told her youth pastor what her youth pastor wanted to hear. Or I think that's what her, her idea was. Was I can't tell anyone I was a failure in Africa. I can't tell people who supported me financially and who prayed for me and who sent me out with great joy 
that I doubted myself every day and that Africa was hell for me. So Marnie just climbed into the car with her, wrapped her arms around her, and I, I climbed into the front seat and leaned over the back and, and held on to her hands. And we just began to minister and pray and to say, the lies the enemy have planted in your life, they're not true. And the accusations and the guilt and whatever you're feeling, it's not from God. And we just began to pray. When I say hearing from God, it's not a massive thing. It's just simply like, I'm going to go do my work now. Wait. I have this impression that we should pray. That's all it is. I mean, it can be like that. I mean, it can be big and dramatic. But honestly, for this body of Christ to build each other up, which is the Bible says that's what the gifts are for, it's just an attentiveness to the leadership of Jesus. And so the things that are hidden, and in the life of my, my youth student, the thing that was hidden in her life was her secret pain, her secret shame, her feelings of inadequacy and failure. And God, in his graciousness and love for her, he spoke. That's why I want you to hear from God. Because I believe it's to build up the body. I believe that God could speak to you, and I'm not talking about big print in the sky or an audible voice or all these different things, that God can use those things too, and I believe in those things. But I think most of the time it's just that you get a thought and it's like different than what you would have thought. It changes your trajectory a bit. It, you, you made me recognize, man, I'm not even, I recognize this a lot, I'm not even smart enough to have that thought. Where, where is that coming from? And you are anticipating that maybe, just maybe, God in his wisdom will actually direct you into steps and activities and obediences that you would not have planned for your life. And that those trajectories can change someone else's life as well. Would you stand with me?